Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is 7.09 in the Twin Cities, 46 degrees. Uh, Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Later this hour, uh, I'm going to be chatting with David Hughes. He is the Republican candidate who is running against Congressman Colin Peterson in the 7th Congressional District. That's an enormous district that basically takes up the entire sort of western half of Minnesota. Uh, And just this past week, uh, Real Clear Politics, which is a very well-respected website that analyzes Political races has moved that race into a toss-up. So yet another congressional race that, that a lot of people are looking at here in Minnesota. And also we'll be chatting with uh, Jeff Johnson. He, of course, is the Republican candidate for Minnesota governor. But this half hour, we are going to visit with Sue Abderholden. She is the executive director of NAMI Minnesota, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And I had wanted to talk to her uh, about Everson Griffin, who, of course, uh, the Vikings were were very uh, clear that he has was dealing with uh, mental health issues, and I thought it was such a transparent moment for the Vikings to actually acknowledge that and, and really to treat it as just another illness, which of course it is. But I did want to ask Sue, um, who I have talked to many times, just about some of the recent events and, and any times there, any time there is a and a mass shooting or. Certainly pipe bombs being mailed. Uh, there's always this sort of talk about mental illness and violence and the link and is there a connection or is there not a connection? And uh, no one's better to talk about it uh, with than Sue. So Sue Outerholden, Executive Director of NAMI Minnesota, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Esme. Well, let me ask you. I mean it comes up every single time there's one of these horrific mass shootings what is your take on the debate or or the connection or not lack of connection between mental illness, gun violence, and mass shootings? Well, I think the thing that we have to remember is that we have one in five people who are affected by mental illness, and they're just not all violent. Right. And so we have to be really, really careful about connecting the two, because every time we do, we make it even more difficult for someone to acknowledge that they have symptoms and to seek treatment. And usually when you really look into the details of the mass shootings, what they really have in common is that they're white, they're male, they're obsessed with violent video games and guns, and it's not necessarily due to their mental illness. And many of them actually don't have a diagnosed mental illness. Um, so, you know, people with depression don't go out and pill, kill people, right? That's just right. not, they're more likely to take their own lives. And so, you know, they said the Las Vegas shooter, you know, perhaps had depression. Well, it wasn't the depression that caused them to kill people. Right. And, and I think I think that's an important point. And, and I guess, so what you're saying is that, you know, every time this, this discussion comes up, the vast majority of people who do have a mental illness are not violent. And, and right. so... It stigmatizes it even further. Yes, absolutely it does. And it doesn't help us understand why it happened. 
Right. In terms of just overall, you know, the battle, and one of the things that NAMI does is is put out sort of resources and, you know, education and and support for families. What is the status of of the overall picture here in Minnesota in terms of uh, the kind of treatment options that are available, especially in in some of our rural areas, uh, in terms of insurance coverage, in terms of, of that education component going forward? Well, we like to say that our mental health system isn't broken. We never built it. And so, I mean, we didn't have one before. The state hospitals were not a mental health system. And I would say that we've made a lot of progress over the last 40 years. We have more services and access to treatment than we ever did before, but we're still not meeting the needs. In rural Minnesota, you have a serious workforce shortage. You know, there aren't, well, there aren't psychiatrists hardly anywhere in the state, um, but you're also missing psychologists and even clinical social workers. And so people often have to wait a long time before they can access treatment. And I think when we look at culturally specific communities as well, we don't have culturally competent mental health, enough of them. Um, so that can really delay access. And then I think kind of the and when you, when you problem, say that, are, are, you, are you talking mm-hmm. about, you know, people who have a background in, in, for various ethnic groups and or immigrant groups? Yes. Um, so people from those communities and also not enough of our mental health professionals have had real training in being culturally competent. Interesting. And All so right. that, you know, that, that can, you know, really be a problem. But I think overall what we see is that people can't access the right care at the right time. Right. And so, you know, we have people in, a, in an acute uh, inpatient hospital who are waiting for something in the community. And then we have people in the emergency room waiting for that hospital bed. So it's a flow issue, trying to make sure people get to the right place at the right time. We're talking with Sue Adderholden. She is the executive director of NAMI Minnesota. NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. How does Minnesota stack up compared to other states in terms of the resources that are available on a statewide level? Um, actually, very well. Uh, the um, the National Mental Health Association, Mental Health America, actually came out with a report recently, and we were number one. Really? Which and, and you're you're, the, you're citing what you feel are still are deficiencies. So if we're number one, you have to think about yeah, what might you, be the problems in, in other places. Exactly. So you know, it's all relative, of course, and and I would say it isn't like there's another state I would go to. We have pockets of excellence, so you might see that, you know, for example, Illinois just passed a great um, mental health parity enforcement law. Um, We have a lot more CIT-trained officers in Ohio. So we have these, like, little pockets of things, but it's not like there's one state that's doing it great in everything. Wow, okay. And do you think that there's a lot of uh, receptiveness to trying to improve the situation, whether it's at the, at the state level or the federal level or the local level? I would say generally, yes. Um, you know, I've been with NAMI 17 years, and when I think about back when I first started, what they even talked about in terms of public policies or people sharing their stories was very limited. Um, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a legislator or an elected official who would say that we don't need to spend more time and attention and money on our mental health system. I think people really understand what the great needs are and what we can do to to really address them. Right. Uh, So I want to take a quick break, and then I would like to talk about um, the Vikings kind of going public and Everson Griffin going public about the fact that 
uh, he was struggling with a mental illness and, and your impact on that. And, and what does it does it mean something when somebody who's very well known uh, is, is open and, and honest about what their struggle is? So keep it right here, folks. So we're chatting with Sue Abderholden. She's the executive director of NAMI Minnesota. It is 720, uh, 45 degrees in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. We're chatting with Sue Abderholden. She is the executive director of NAMI Minnesota. NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, Sue, what was your reaction to um, Everson Griffin and the Vikings going public with the fact that he was uh, battling a mental illness? Um, So I was really pleased to see that. I think often we look at athletes and, you know, you're supposed to be strong and kind of invincible and so to talk about something like mental illness, I think, is really important. Now, I, um, so I'm going to admit I don't watch a lot of sports. Um, but <laughs> A lot of people do, to, though. <laughs> I, a lot of people do. Um, but I want to be careful about saying whether he really has um, totally shared his story. Um, what I've seen is he said he was struggling with some issues, um, but I, I haven't seen anything where he said, I have a mental illness and I was, and I was treated. I think what... We all have, all, of course, all assumed that, and I think we have to give him time, um, frankly, to heal and decide to tell a story. But I think what we saw was an employer responding to clearly some type of crisis with empathy and understanding and support. And is that what you get from most employers? Unfortunately, no, although we're starting to see a change there, too. Um, we have some large companies um, in our state who are really looking at this differently. Um, we just had actually Grand Casino. Um, NAMI gave them an award today, an Employer of the Year Award, because they really did focus on the mental health of their employer, employees. Um, we know... Um, and and what, what, let, let me ask you, what, 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 mm-hmm. what were some of the things that Grand Casino was doing to, to focus on the mental health of their employees? Um, so they actually trained some of their employees to be more knowledgeable about mental illness. They wore green ribbons so that other employees know that they could talk to them. They have quotes really? um, in the employee lounge. They had a resource area that people could go to. They did a lot of suicide prevention training. Um, they've trained some of their staff in cultural healing. So they, they really took that extra step um, to make sure that, at least in their place of employment, people could actually talk about their mental health. So, so people wear green ribbons, and, and you can mm-hmm. talk to them. And then what, what did you say about the lounge? Um, so they had information about different mental illnesses and about what treatment and what resources were available in their community. Well, in, in, in the employee lounge, that, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Good, good, good for them. Um, yes. But that's, um, so the, you actually recognize them with an award today. Yes, yeah. But we have other companies, Best Buy, um, Ernst & Young, both of them have gone out of their way to um, provide resources and to talk about mental health. Um, the uh, Up in War Road, Minnesota, the, I think it's a snowmobile manufacturer up there, something like that. They also have um, done a lot of work on making sure their employees um, understand what good mental health is and what the resources are. I think because we have a very low unemployment rate, that, you know, you have to make sure that the employees you have are doing well. Right. And, and, and that's, that, that's actually a, an interesting point that because we do have such a low employment rate, that that might be sort of a, um, an amenity that, that, that people or a, a service that people are providing to their employees as yes. 
an incentive to come work there. Oh, absolutely. You know, that, that knowing that your employer cares about your mental health, you know, wants to have some maybe um, some breaks from your email after 6 o'clock, um, that they encourage you to, you know, watch your nutrition and to exercise and all those things. It's a good, it's a good thing for everyone. Absolutely. Um, how about what is the status of insurance coverage for, for mental health issues? <sighs> well, unfortunately, it's we still are not enforcing mental health parity. There was a new uh, national report that came out just a couple weeks ago that gave Minnesota an F in terms of enforcing mental health parity. Now there were so over what is the law? Also got enough. Yeah, what well, is the law? <laughs> so what the law says is that if if you cover mental health or substance use disorder treatment, that you have to do it in the same way. So you can't have different out-of-pocket costs like copayments or deductibles. You can't have arbitrary treatment limits, and then you have to treat it the same way. They call it non-quantitative treatment limits. So you can't have different formularies. You have to add new types of treatment in the same way. If they pay for rehab for your new hip, they should pay rehab for someone with schizophrenia leaving the hospital. And frankly, that's the area that we have the most trouble with in terms of enforcement. Even though, is it, and is that a state law or federal law? Um, it's both, and it's been there for 10 years. Let me ask you this. How about the access part? Because I know that there are a lot of plans that provide mental health coverage, but they only have like four providers in the state or something like or in the metro. Yeah. I mean, is that where does that fall under? Um, so that's actually called network adequacy. And so in Minnesota, the law is for primary care and mental health that you have to um, have someone within 30 miles or 30 minutes. But it doesn't mean that they're taking new patients. And so it's ah. kind of a strange law, um, and it's something that we're looking at um, because I think that health plan should have to attest that actually who's ever in your network is taking new patients because otherwise who cares? Right. And, and, and I think that that's the thing is that, that a lot of people have, you know, whereas that they can go to pre, you know, pretty much any most clinics or whatever, the, the mental health providers are far more limited in yes, terms of the availability that they can go to on their plan. I think, I think a lot of people face that as well. And I think that makes it very tough. Uh, yes. And then they go out of network and have to pay more out of pocket. Right. Right. And, and, but that's, that's, you're saying that's allowed under the law. Yes, it is, unfortunately. Wow, okay. All right. Uh, well, that's something that obviously um, it'd, be, it'd be nice to see that change. Tell us about where people can, can find you and, and, and look at the resources. You do have a lot of resources available. Yes, yeah, so our website is org, and there's actually um, a health library. Um, we have under publications, there's booklets helping explain what's inpatient psychiatric care, how to manage a crisis, you know, what happens if your loved one is arrested. Um, we also now offer online classes and on web-based support groups. So if people can't attend one in person, they can look to do it that way. And we have a helpline. It's not a crisis line, but it is a helpline. Um, so people can contact us if they need help um, kind of maneuvering the mental health system. And our phone number is simply 651 645 All right. And let me give that again. 651, if you can give that again, Sue. Yep, 651-645-2948. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. Again, that line is 651-645-2948. Thank you as always, Sue. We really appreciate your coming on. 
Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, Esme. I always enjoy talking with you. Absolutely. All right. That is Sue Abderholden with NAMI. All right, folks, we're going to have to take a break. We're going to give you some weather. And then when we come back, we're going to be joined by David Hughes. He is the Republican candidate in Minnesota's sprawling 7th Congressional District. He's running against veteran congressman uh, Colin Peterson. And also we'll be joined by Jeff Johnson, who, of course, is running for governor. So keep it here. News Radio 830 WCCO. All right, folks, 731 in the Twin Cities, uh, a lot going on. Election Day, finally, just a couple of days away. There is uh, a lot of attention on Minnesota's congressional races, and there is an outlier that I, I'm surprised it has not gotten more attention. But just this past week, Real Clear Politics, which is an excellent website that has a lot of great political information on it, it is uh, a neutral site. In other words, it, it doesn't skew Republican or Democratic. Actually, put the seventh congressional district as a toss-up. Uh, the seventh congressional district has been uh, represented in Congress for many, many years. I think thirty plus uh, by Congressman uh, Colin Peterson. He is a Democrat. Donald Trump won this district by thirty-one percentage points in twenty sixteen. Dave Hughes uh, was running against uh, Congressman Peterson uh, two years ago and lost by, I think, about five percentage points. Dave Hughes is running again and again. Real Clear Politics has put this as a toss-up race. Dave Hughes joining us now. Dave, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Esme. Great to be here with you. Absolutely. Uh, Let me ask you, where where are you joining us from? I'm in Moorhead right now. Uh, Today is day nine uh, on the trail. Uh, we've been all over the place, all the way south to Pipestone, all the way east to Albany, everywhere in between. And um, uh, we're uh, hitting the campaign trail hard, uh, meeting a lot of folks. And uh, we really have a sense the moment, momentum is with us. And uh, we're going to we're going to pull this out on uh, on Tuesday. Well, you did run two years ago and you lost. It was you know a relatively tight race. I mean, Colin Peterson has won races by double digits easily. Many times he's run for reelection. You only you you only lost by five percentage points. What are you seeing in terms of the crowd reaction and just you know just, just what kind of a feel are you getting compared to two years ago? Well, two things. One, uh, uh, two years ago, it was pretty lonely. It was just my wife and I. We had no money. And, uh, you know, we would go everywhere and just kind of get these blank stares. And so uh, between the, the average well, you did, you did well pretty, as, You did pretty well. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the difference is this year we're getting a lot more enthusiasm. It seems like uh, the average voter out there that I, that I meet uh, everywhere we go uh, has not only heard of me, but they're really excited. And, you know, they all say the same thing this year, which is that, Hey, I've, I know Colin. Uh, I like him. I've voted for him in the past, but uh, uh, he's been there too long, and uh, we're ready for a change. And that really is what I'm hearing all the time. The other aspect is that the uh, party organization and the and the activists and everybody involved are uh, much more excited this time than two years ago. And so um, uh, we're very positive and, and confident right now. I do want to let uh, everyone know that we did. I did reach out to uh, Representative Colin Peterson's campaign today, both by email and by phone. Did not hear back. Uh, let me ask you, uh, in terms of um, overall h- how the race is going, do you have any idea why Real Clear Politics, which is a very well-respected uh, site that, that analyzes races, why they moved you into the toss-up slot? Because I haven't seen any independent polling in your case, in your race. Right. No, the answer to your question is we don't know. We've, we've, <laughs> reached, out to that. we've reached out to Real Clear Politics uh, several times over the last few days to try to answer your question, and uh, we haven't been able to connect with them. 
Okay, because I, and and in some ways, this is one of these districts, and Minnesota happens happens to have a number of them where. When you look at how the president did and you look at the fact that there's a Democrat who's holding the seat, it's off. And, and the president did better in the 7th Congressional District than I think in any other district. He won by 31 percentage points. Are you finding a lot of support uh, for the president, I mean, compared to two years ago or even more support than two years ago? I, I think it's as high, if not higher, than two years ago. You know, not only uh, are, are the uh, uh, Trump supporters uh, enthusiastic, but you know, I think all this um, uh, nonstop attack on the president by the mainstream media, you know, mostly at the national level for the last two years, has had a backlash here in western Minnesota. And so folks are as energized or more. And, and uh, I think that's really been helping my campaign. Well, you know, I did. I will say that I did talk to um, Minnesota House Speaker Kurt Dowd, uh, and he was saying that, that the polling that the Republican Party has done shows that in the areas where Mr. Trump was very popular – and did very well two years ago. He's even more popular, which would support what you're saying. Um, you're a 21-year veteran of the United States Air Force. Um, you work for uh, General Atomics as an MQ-9 UAS drone instructor pilot, which sounds uh, very impressive. Uh, you fly operational missions uh, for the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. Uh, in terms of uh, Colin Peterson's record, Colin Peterson has, has been running ads that, that have continued to run actually in our market as well about the fact that he is an independent voice, that, that he votes for the Republicans when the Republicans are right, and he votes with the Democrats when the Democrats are right. What do you have to say about that? Well, I think there's a little bit of cynicism there and, you know, and just numbers playing. You know, uh, Everybody keeps saying that he votes uh, against his own party 36% of the time, but it hasn't had any real impact. I mean, name, name a... a a bill that the Democrats really wanted to pass in recent years that passed just because of Colin, or name one that the Republicans really wanted to pass that passed just because of him. It doesn't matter a whole lot. And frankly, you know, in the last eight years that his party has been in the minority in the U.S. House, Colin has authored exactly three bills that have become law. Um, a lot of folks in the media, they talk about all this clout that he supposedly has. But in eight years, he's passed three bills. Two of them were to name buildings, one a courthouse, one a VA facility, and one was a uh, Native American issue. And so, you know, none of those three are, are, are of, of a huge amount of impact in Western Minnesota, certainly not for agriculture, which is the number one economic uh, sector here. So I just don't see a lot of clout there. And so, um, you know, the choice is clear that folks can vote for me and I'll be, uh, you know, I'll have the year of the president and secretary of agriculture, Purdue, on day one in 2019. And I think uh, people are ready for that. Well, if the House goes democratic, which I think a lot of people think it will, Colin Peterson would be chair of the Agricultural Committee in the House of Representatives. That would be a lot of clout. Well, that would be a lot of clout, but the gamble is this. You know, the voters of Western Minnesota are pretty energized and pretty disgusted with the performance of the Senate Democrats on the Judiciary Committee with the whole Kavanaugh confirmation hearing. And so you've got that and you've got the prospect of what Nancy Pelosi has made clear as her uh, agenda if she becomes speaker again. Right. which is to reverse the tax cuts of a year ago, open the borders, grant amnesty, and all sorts of things that, things that I don't think the people of Western Minnesota really want. Let me ask you, in terms of you, you describing you know, when we started, you started out that, that really you're seeing an energized electorate there. Was there a change after the Kavanaugh hearing, or has it just been consistently, pretty consistent throughout? Well, I think there was a, a change after the Kavanaugh hearings. I mean, it's sort of anecdotal, but uh, we've seen it spread uh, far and wide, and that was, I mean, just as something as simple as uh, yard signs. We had uh, reports that a number of the counties in our district uh, had quite a few signs remaining 
uh, just prior to the to the Kavanaugh uh, debacle. And, and as soon as that came to a head and shortly thereafter, we got new reports that, bam, those, those signs are flying out of the victory centers and flying out of the uh, uh, county locations, and they're all over the place now. And we, we have very few signs that haven't been posted yet. So for what that's worth, I think that's a great indication of uh, uh, the energy out here uh, in reaction to the whole uh, Kavanaugh scandal. All right. Well, Dave Hughes, uh, and you are going to be, I think, in Hutchinson on election night. Is that right? Yes, we're gonna. My wife and I are gonna vote up in our town of Carlsbad, Minnesota, which is uh, way, way, way north up by kind of Roseau and War Road. I, I actually looked it up on the map there. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna vote there uh, Tuesday morning, and then we're gonna make our way down with with stops in between, and then uh, stop off in Hutchinson, and then uh, at some point in the evening, probably dash down to Bloomington to join the uh, Republicans down there for the victory celebration. Well, that would be great because uh, we obviously will be covering there. And, and to be honest, it's actually logistics of covering this election. Uh, for WCCO-TV, it's, it's difficult because there are so many races that are up in the air that are so spread out. <laughs> so um, that would be great if, if we did see you down there in, in Bloomington as well. And obviously we love going to the 7th Congressional District uh, where I caught up with you earlier uh, just a couple months ago. Uh, anyway, Dave Hughes, thank you so much for joining us. And obviously you're very busy. We appreciate your time this evening. Esme, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, it was fun meeting with you out, out of that dairy uh, not too long ago. Absolutely. All right. That is Dave Hughes. He is the uh, Republican candidate in the 7th Congressional District. It's a district that has suddenly been moved to a toss-up by Real Clear Politics. Uh, he's running against uh, Congressman Colin Peterson, the longtime incumbent. Uh, again, we did reach out to Congressman Peterson and, and did not hear back today. All right, folks. Uh, we are going to take a break. When we come back... Uh, we should be joined by Jeff Johnson. He, of course, is running uh, on the Republican ticket to be the next governor of the state of Minnesota. It is 743 in the Twin Cities, 45 degrees. Well, as I have been saying, Election Day, just a couple of days away. I think a lot of people are ready for it, and I'm sure the candidates are. Uh, right now, we are going to be joined by Jeff Johnson, who is the Republican candidate for governor of Minnesota. Commissioner Johnson, how are you this evening? Good. How are you, Esme? Pretty well, sir. Um, you must be ready for this to be about over. <laughs> yeah, we're about there. We... uh I'm actually in the RV. We're heading back from Stillwater after a couple of days, I think 13 or 14 stops the last couple of days. Wow. And we're heading out tomorrow morning, and we'll come back on Election Day and hit another 20 or so. So it's, it's been great, and this is kind of the easy part of the campaign. There's You don't really think about anything anymore. You just go talk to people. But I'm ready. <laughs> um, and I do want to say that, that we did reach out to uh, Congressman Walls, who obviously is the Democratic candidate for Minnesota governor. He is up on the Iron Range where there's limited cell phone service. So I, I do want to let uh, everyone know that we did reach out to him. Overall, I mean, how are things going in these final days? I mean, the polls certainly have shown you consistently trailing Congressman Walls. Yeah, I, I feel like things are going extremely well, and I, I don't put much weight into polls. I was down by 19 points to Tim Pawlenty about That's it, true. <laughs> and I won by nine. So they were only off by 28, and that was, you know, the last <laughs> national poll. Um, so, you know, there have been some good polls, there have been some bad polls, and I, I just, I, I don't pay any attention to them. I know what I feel out there. We've talked to tens of thousands of Minnesotans, 
And there is a real desire for something different in state government. And, and that's not even partisan. It's not just Republicans. I'm hearing that from Democrats and a lot of people in the middle. They feel like Minnesota government is no longer accountable to taxpayers. We've got this long history of good government, however you define that, in Minnesota. And we seem to have lost that to a certain extent. And that, that uh, encourages me because we're talking about changing the status quo in this race. And I think people are open to that. All right. And, and what you mentioned about the polls, I think, is really true. I mean, as you said, you were down. I mean, everybody thought, you know, Governor Tim Pawlenty was going to kind of walk away with it. As, as, uh, maybe maybe obviously not you and your supporters, but a lot of people did. Certainly people in, in my profession thought that the governor would have – Governor Pawlenty would have uh, an easy time, and he didn't. And you were absolutely right. I mean, he was up by, I think, as you mentioned, 19 points. You won by nine. And I think a lot of these polls – I feel increasingly a lot of these polls – have been wrong and are wrong. Uh, and I, I'm not sure what exactly it is. I think you've got the same day voter registration here in Minnesota, yep. which has a, a big impact. And you also have, um, obviously a lot of people now who have cell phones. And I think that that's yep. kind of skewed a lot of the polls. But overall, um, in terms of, of how things have been going, I know you're a big supporter of the president's. As you travel around the state, where are you seeing, are you seeing strong support for President Trump? I am, and it really depends on where you go, and it's not, it's fairly predictable. I don't think it'll shock anybody that when you get away from the Twin Cities, the support is much stronger. You get into western Minnesota, especially, and uh, up on the range, the support for him is tremendous, probably more so than two years ago when he won the election, or, well, when he won the election and almost won Minnesota. Um, and, you know, you have areas of the state where he's not terribly popular, uh, including the area that I live, which is Plymouth, the western suburbs. There's, uh, you know, people are, are pretty uneasy. So it really depends on where you're at. I do think there are people, I know there are people that don't talk about their support for him um, because they don't want to be attacked for it, but they are happy with the results, even if they're uncomfortable sometimes with the style. The, the, the style, the president's style. Well, I, you know, and I can't. I mean, I know that you support his policies, but I can't think of, uh, you know, you I can't think of, of two politicians with sort of a, a different style than, than you and the president. I mean, that's not your style at all. The sort of the bombastic right. uh, the, that he seems to revel in and continues to revel in. Um, in. In terms of you know state government, I think a lot of people have been pretty fed up with with the gridlock over at, at, in St. Paul. What, what can you do? And what do you think you'll be able to do uh, to, to kind of unlock that? Well, I, I, honestly, I think it's all about the leadership style of a governor. And it, it does come down to the governor because you can have, you know, great leaders in the legislature or rotten leaders in the legislature. If you don't have a strong, engaged governor, you are going to have a mess at the end of session. And unfortunately, we've, we seem to have come to accept the fact that every session is going to end in chaos. And well, it does. Backroom <laughs> deal. And, you know, a, a big monster omnibus bill that no one's read and then half the time special session, which we shouldn't put up with that. We shouldn't have to put up with that. And I, I think if you have a governor who is very engaged from the start of the session, not just at the end, and is working across the aisle, I mean, we're going to fight about things. There's no way around that because you know, some things are worth fighting about. But there's so many things we agree on. And what, what frustrates me the most is there are all these bipartisan agreements on you know, very important things, and instead of getting them done, they all get pushed into one huge bill at the end because they think if we put the good stuff 
in this big bill, then the governor's going to have to sign the bad stuff or the legislators are going to have to vote for the bad stuff, too. And that's what led to this mess at the end. And, you know, you get the, the governor vetoing stuff that he actually agreed with because it was all shoved into one big bill at the end. So I think if you if you have a governor who can focus first in the session on, hey, what are these things we agree on? You know what? We can all agree that we need to, to, to come up with some sort of solution to the opioid crisis. So let's go get that done rather than save it for the end as, you know, candy to get votes for something else. And then at the end, yeah, we're going to disagree on some stuff and we'll have to hammer that out. But let's not put everything off to the end. Right. And, and, you know, one of the issues here is you've got divided government, though. I mean, you know, Governor Mark Dayton was elected handily. I mean, he he beat you. And uh, you've got the legislature that's controlled by Republicans. I mean, unless you have and it's possible that the House could switch, uh, the Minnesota State House could switch to Democratic control. Uh, So if you were to win, uh, you could be facing divided government again. Sure. And that, you know, I mean, that's what we've had, I don't know, probably 80 percent of the time in Minnesota, if not more. I think Minnesotans actually have in the past kind of suggested they like that. Uh, They don't want one party to control. I mean, I I would love to have an all-Republican legislature and me as governor, but that might not happen. And, you know, you go back 20, 30 years, sessions didn't end this way, and they had divided government then. So it's very possible. But again, I think it really comes down to some leadership from a governor who can say, listen, let's figure out what we agree on first and get those things done, and then we'll battle it out at the end over, you know, some big and important things. Um, But at least the good stuff won't get lost in that process. I know uh, there have obviously been a a ton of ads in your race and all the races, but I know that you were uh, particularly upset about an ad that ran – one of the ads, the more recent ads that that suggested – that you took issue with with how they categorize your position on health care. Can you explain that for us? Sure. There's a a group called Alliance for a Better Minnesota. It it is pumped in. They're going to – in the end, they're going to spend probably $4.5 million on a set of ads against me and – these are the ads that everybody's seen because they've been running heavy for months where uh, in, in almost all of them, it's a, a woman saying, you know, Jeff's going to take away coverage for pre-existing conditions. That's has found to have been false. I mean, it is false because I can tell you I won't do that. And we've guaranteed affordable coverage for people with pre-existing conditions for 30 years in Minnesota. So it's just a value we have. Um, but they keep running it. And you know what? It's politics. People lie. I get it. But but last week they came out with their the new ad one week before the election day, figuring, well, it's too late, you know, for anybody to, to get to do much about it. And it has a, a disabled, very disabled young man who comes on and says, you know, if Jeff had been governor and I was a kid, he would have denied um, he would have denied coverage to me as a, a poor, disabled child. And that, to me, is just beyond the pale. That is a, a new low. It's not just false. It's not just a lie. But all of a sudden now you're, you're going to attack phase where, Nobody would deny health coverage to poor, disabled children. I certainly wouldn't. Um, and, you know, we never have in Minnesota. And I think using someone like this to scare disabled people is pretty pathetic. Um, I think it's really sad, and, and I think it's too bad that at least one side seems to think it's okay that Minnesota is going to go down this road that, unfortunately, other states have gone. Well, there have been negative ads on, on both sides, you know, yeah. from these, especially from these independent groups. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any negative ad on the other side that uh, on on our side that is even 
marginally close to that. First of all, I don't think anyone's accused ads on um, on our side, which are much fewer, frankly, of being dishonest, number one, and certainly nothing as vile as using a disabled person to suggest that you're such a, a rotten human being that you would take health care away from disabled kids who don't have money. Let me ask you about the the early voting numbers that have come out across the state because it shows really an, an incredible surge. I think if you add up all the early votes from last Thursday, it was, and, and then also sort of mail-in ballots that are very popular uh, in, in more rural areas, you've got about five hundred and eighty-five thousand people that have already voted or in the process of voting. It's probably much higher than that now with Friday and Saturday. You know, people yesterday and today voting as well. What do you think that means? Is that just an example of people getting used to the fact that you can have no excuses voting? Or does that mean something else, that there really is going to be an increase, that we're going to top the 50 percent that we had or 51 percent of of turnout in the last midterm elections of 2014? I think it's the latter. I I mean, it's a combination of both. Clearly, people are starting to become more comfortable with early voting and understand it and realize you can skip the long lines on Tuesday. But but I think it also suggests that we are going to have much higher turnout. We saw it in the primaries. Um, both Democrats and Republicans had, you know, higher turnout than we've seen in decades. And I, I feel it as I travel around the state. I mean, I don't think anybody doubts that, that Democrats and those on the left are energized right now because of their feelings about Donald Trump. Um, and I think there was some concern a few months ago that maybe Republicans or conservatives wouldn't have that same energy but that has changed, and I, there are probably a bunch of different factors. But I would say a month or so ago, we started feeling it out there that all of a sudden, the those on the right, those to the right of center, seem just as energized as those on the left. So I think we're going to see. Um, I think we're going to see much higher turnout than four years ago, and I, I, I'm guessing we're going to be back at where we were, you know, ten, twelve, fifteen years ago when when we were, you know, more like the sixty percent range for a midterm election, which I think is great. Interesting. Uh, let me ask you, I mean, obviously, this is more sort of a federal issue, but but was it the Kavanaugh hearings? Because we just had Dave Hughes on, who is the, uh, of course, the Republican candidate running against Colin Peterson. His race has suddenly been moved to a toss up by yeah. a very well-respected group, Real Clear Politics. Um, he thinks it was the Kavanaugh hearings that, that really he, he could sense a difference there. I mean, was that really a factor? For, I think for- that, yeah, that was absolutely part of it. I don't know if that's the whole thing. I think part of it is just we're getting closer to the election and and those, you know, Republicans and those right of center recognize the consequences of my race, at least. Um, but certainly we saw it after the Kavanaugh hearings. A lot of people were were really disgusted by what they saw and said, you know what, we're paying attention now. And, and that may be a lot of the people who are voting early. Right. Right. Well, and, and certainly those those numbers are there. And I think I think most people that I've talked to, you know, on both sides sort of agree with what you're saying, that they're seeing an energy there uh, that certainly suggests that that on both sides people are ready to to take a stand and and you know make their decision um well jeff johnson thank you so much for joining us i know you're very busy and you're kind of shuttling between things i i, I guess the the next few days though it's going to be kind of not kind of non-stop it, it is and it's uh, again this is the easy and fun part of the campaign so i appreciate you giving me a few minutes Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Commissioner Jeff Johnson, uh, the Republican candidate for Minnesota governor. We appreciate your time this evening. Thanks, Esme. All right. Absolutely. All right, folks. And again, we did reach out to um, Congressman Tim Walls, who is way up in the Iron Range where there is limited cell service. 
Uh, so I do want to let you know that we did reach out to him to see if he was available. I know he's been on. David Josephson, our producer, is saying that he has been on recently on WCCO Radio. Yeah, well. Tim was in studio with Dave Lee. Just uh, oh wow, okay, uh, well, there the you go. Doesn't get doesn't get any bigger than that in studio with Dave Lee. Uh, but obviously, uh, one of the marquee races uh, that we're going to be deciding here, and and that's what I think is is so. I think it's great that people are energized. It's great to hear. Commissioner Johnson say people are energized. Uh, we heard Angie Craig earlier. Democrats say people are energized. I think it's good because there is a lot at stake and, and there are sharp differences in the political parties. And you get to decide. <laughs> you get to decide and, and make that decision. And there's so much at stake with all these elections. You've got that governor's race. You've got the two U.S. Senate races that, that are so critical. And you've got now these five and I don't mean to, I don't mean to marginalize you know the the three congressional districts uh, Betty McCollum and uh, obviously not yet uh, Representative Ilan Omar who's running for Keith Ellison's seat. I mean it's difficult to believe that uh, Republicans would have a chance in that district because it's so overwhelming Democratic and also Congressman Tom Emmer. I don't mean to marginalize their districts, but you have five districts that that are in play here, and that's just amazing in a state our size to think that of the eight congressional districts. Five are in play and five, those five districts really could determine who controls the U.S. House of Representatives. Listen, I'm going to be talking about all of this with my friend Professor David Schultz coming up in just a few moments. Keep it here. News Radio 830. is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 